This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. Well, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, estimates that one in 68 children in multiple communities in the United States has been identified with autism spectrum disorder, also known as ASD. This new estimate is roughly 30% higher than the previous estimates reported in 2012, with only one in 88 children. And with this increase comes new research and speculation regarding the potential for a range of problems that can accompany this diagnosis, and specifically a look at the mental health of these individuals. Well, here to share some of these findings is Dr. Kevin Anschel. He's Associate Professor of Psychology at Syracuse University and Adjunct Associate Professor of Psychiatry at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Dr. Anschel. Thanks for coming in. It's a pleasure to be here. So it's there's been this increase in, in ASD or autism spectrum disorder in this country and also I believe worldwide. Tell us about that. Sure. Yeah, I think I mean I think there has been an increase in the prevalence of autism spectrum disorder. Um, and I think there probably are three reasons to account for that. Number one is better awareness, um, early screening, early detection. Um, in residency programs in pediatrics and child psychiatry, there's a much heavier emphasis on autism than there was 10, 20 years ago, and so the pediatricians of today are much more acutely aware of autism. Number two, I think autism is now defined as a spectrum, um, and as a spectrum, you know, we certainly have the more affected individuals who are completely nonverbal, have intellectual disabilities, but also have individuals who are much mildly affected or much more mildly affected. Um, and it's the mild end of the spectrum uh, that I think has generated the most controversy, um, that I think everyone would agree on the people that are more severely affected as having autism spectrum disorder. Uh, but nonetheless, it's a spectrum disorder, and as a spectrum disorder, uh, there's a wider range. And the number three, educational law, um, that uh, individuals with autism spectrum disorder are eligible for a variety of interventions and accommodations at school. Um, and so where maybe 10, 20 years ago where a parent of a child who was a little quirky, a little socially off, may have been reluctant to pursue an autism spectrum disorder evaluation, I don't think that that reluctance is as strong anymore. So do you think in, in effect we are seeing more autism per se and this whole notion that it's become, it's almost an epidemic proportions and of course all of these theories in terms of what's fueling it, or is it in part the way we're looking at it and the drivers for for help, you know, for intervention, like you mentioned, the fact that you can't secure help unless you have this diagnosis for any kind of um, potential developmental issue? Sure. I think, I, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um, I think the clinician in me says it's uh, probably more of the latter, that a drive for health, uh, an interest in treatments, and in order to be able to secure these treatments, at least at school, you need a diagnosis. I think the researcher in me says the former, uh, that I think uh, autism is a genetic disorder. It tends to run very strongly in families. Um, and so an increase in the population who has this condition is going to lead then to further increases so it, in autism. The truth is you think that, well, both are true, but you do think there's, there is a true increase in the incidence of even the more severe aspects of autism. I think there's a true increase. I'm not quite sure. I believe it's at the proportions that are being displayed publicly. Um, 
I, so with this increase, there seems to be a lot more interest being generated about the what we call comorbidities or the kind of accompanying um, mental health issues that may accompany something like autism at either end of that spectrum. Tell us about what kinds of issues are being looked at or have been found. Sure. I can tell you that the two most common co-occurring conditions are anxiety and anxiety disorders, especially specific phobias, so a child that has a specific fear uh, of uh, um, something, for example, lightning, thunder, etc. And then also, um, number two, ADHD, so attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Those are the two most common co-occurring. ADHD co-occurs in about half of children on the autism spectrum. Really? So that it's many? A very, it's a very significant uh, proportion. Anxiety disorders is somewhat less, but still very, uh, very common. Roughly 30 to 40 percent of children on the autism spectrum will have an anxiety disorder. Is there any theory as to what underlies those co-occurring um, symptoms or behaviors? Sure, sure. There's a range of theories. Uh, I'm more familiar with the ADHD theories, and in the interest of time, I'll focus really on the ADHD. Uh, uh, the main theory is that both autism and ADHD share a deficit in what's called executive functioning. Executive functioning is an umbrella term that's used to describe a set of abilities that all has one thing in common, and that they act like an executive would in a company. So the ability to organize, the ability to plan, the ability to resist your impulses, the ability to sustain your attention, uh, those are all examples of executive functions. And children, adolescents, and adults, for that matter, with ADHD and children, adolescents, and adults with autism, both have deficits in executive functioning. And so that's, I would say, the leading hypothesis about the overlap. But they correlate rather than necessarily that one causes the other. Is that, I mean, is there some suspicion that there may be some underlying etiology or that yep. one is actually yep. responsible for the yeah, other? There, there, um, and there are theories on both sides. There are theories that there are correlations, and then there's also theories that there are causations, that the deficits in executive functions are what causes the ADHD symptoms or what causes the autism symptoms. And so there are theories, and at this point in the research between ADHD and autism, we really don't know. Uh, I'm not sure how many of your audience will know, but uh, prior to 2013, um, the DSM-5, which is the nomenclature system we use in psychiatry, um, uh, DSM-5 did not allow a clinician to make an ADHD diagnosis in the context of autism. Because, really? Because it was thought that all children with autism are hyperactive. All children with autism are inattentive, and therefore it couldn't be ADHD, it was just autism. But that changed in the DSM-5, and so... This is a hot area of research because of that change in the past two years. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen here with psychologist Dr. Kevin Anschel. We're talking about the kinds of psychopathology, specifically ADHD in this case, that can accompany autism spectrum disorder in children and adolescents. So help us understand a little bit more about what these children look like in terms of I know that there are some other psychopathologies that do occur. For example, um, <clears throat> in just in, in, in reviewing for this, I saw things like mood disorders, phobias, when you mentioned anxiety. Um, even childhood schizophrenia and psychosis may also co-occur mm -hmm. with autism. Mm -hmm. um, is that being studied as well in terms of what the etiology is or how these things seem to correlate? 
Sure. All of, I mean, all of the above you mentioned is being studied. I know the National Institute of Health are very interested in autism, um, and a lot of our grant funding dollars are going towards the study of autism. The co-occurrence of autism and ADHD is a particularly hot area of research just because half of children with autism have uh, ADHD, and so this is a higher prevalence in comorbidities. The schizophrenia, the mood disorders, those tend to be lower in prevalence. So what are the kinds of things that you see? Go, let's go back to what I, my initial question. Sure. What do those kids look like? Sure. And how are they different? Let's say a kid with the co-occurring uh, behaviors versus one who has purely got uh, autism spectrum disorder. Or you said 50%. What's the other 50%? Sure, yep. I would, I would say, I mean, I teach psychology, and one of the things I always tell our students is you begin every question with it depends. And in this case, it depends on the intellectual abilities of the individual with autism. About half of people on the autism spectrum have an intellectual disability. And individuals with intellectual disabilities uh, who also have ADHD are much more impaired. Um, so they're, um, for example, they tend to be in specialized classroom settings. They're unable to be mainstreamed into the general education curriculum for many classes. And so they're much more impaired. So what do they look like in terms of their behaviors? Sure. Well, ADHD is a behaviorally defined condition, so they're hyperactive, they're impulsive, they have trouble sitting. Still, uh, kids with autism who are impulsive, um, um, they tend to run out into the street without looking. Uh, I mean, they tend to do things impulsively. For example, a couple weeks ago, a kid with autism that I've been working with clinically uh, was playing Xbox. He got upset at the game. He threw the console at the TV and broke the $1,000 TV. And the, you know, the parents were saying, this is so out of character for him, he usually doesn't do this. Uh, obviously, that's an impulsive thing he didn't mean to do. So again, if, they, if that same child had just simply had autism versus the combination of the two, he might be more docile with some mm -hmm. of the lack of communication issues that go along with autism or the kind of disinterest in social contact. Yes, yes. Um, the kids who have co-occurring ADHD tend to be more disruptive. Uh, they, you know, they tend to create more of a problem in the classroom, more of a problem at home. So, what, what have you found? I mean, what? Tell us a little bit about the research you're involved with right now, and what are the kinds of things you've found? Sure. Uh, as a psychologist, I'm very interested in behavioral treatments, and so um, how to improve autism symptoms, how to improve functioning without the use of medication, and uh, what we have found um, in our research over the past 10 to 12 years is that a core treatment of autism. It is a social skills training group, and so kids uh, are taught how to communicate, how to converse, how to socially problem how solve. How to relate to other people. How to relate to other people. Um, that tends to work well for children with autism. It tends to work less well if the child has co-occurring ADHD, and so if it's only autism, social skills groups typically are effective. If the child also has ADHD, our hypothesis is it isn't a skill deficit, it's a performance deficit. And so we can teach the kid the skill, but when he goes out there in the real world and tries to use it, the impulsivity, et cetera, interferes, and he knows what to do, he just has trouble doing what he knows. So what kinds of, I mean, how has the research led to differences in treatment? For example, when you mention ADHD, the classic treatment that I know of has often been medication of some sure. kind. Do we use those kinds of medications for ADHD with children who have both conditions? Yes, absolutely. That's a great question. Um, and the answer is yes. Uh, so, for example, the most commonly used medication for ADHD is use of a stimulant. 
That's also the most commonly used medication for children with autism who have ADHD. Give as me a an stimulant. example. I think most people may know these, but when you so say for example, a stimulant, Ritalin, Adderall, Concerta, uh, those are those are the the trade names, and so those are the stimulants that are used, and they're also used in ADHD and autism. Uh, but the research is finding that kids with autism tend to respond less favorably to those. For example, about 80% of kids with ADHD who do not have autism will respond positively to stimulant. That number in ADHD and autism is 50%. Okay, so, so if you have the co-occurring situation of autism and the ADHD, the medication is not as, um, doesn't have as great an impact or is effective? I would say it works, uh, but it works in less of the population than it does in ADHD. So what then do you do? Sure. I mean, what basically, if the medication is less effective, and you said some of the social um, behavioral kinds of constructs in terms of trying to retrain the way the child relates to the world, what do you do when that both those things occur? Yep. Uh, then you begin to work more aggressively with the parents. And you want the parents to be an extension then of the treatment provider and teaching the parent how to manage the disruptive behavior at home, teaching the parent how to collaborate with the school around treatment. Well, it sounds like, what are you immediately, with a little bit of time we have left, what new research or what are you engaged in right now and where is the direction going for sure. this? Sure. Our direction with research is continuing on the, the social skills, um, but our research is now working on trying to train the teachers on how best to manage these social skills, how to encourage socially appropriate behaviors in the classroom. And so we're really moving away from a clinic-based model of t treating the child with autism in a clinic and really going to where he or she spends eight hours a day and trying to train those adults. Almost affecting the whole environment of the child, both Correct. at home and in the school, to try to reshape the environment to help support and perhaps retrain the child. Correct. Well, it sounds like very important and, and interesting research. Thanks so much for coming in and sharing it with sure, us. Pleasure. My guest has been Dr. Kevin Anschel. He's Associate Professor of Psychology at Syracuse University and Adjunct Associate Professor of Psychiatry at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.